Hallelujah. Is there anybody in this place that really loves Jesus? Come on, let me hear you give him a shout of love and adoration in this place. Come on, let me hear you shout like you love him in this place. He is wonderful in all of his ways, and we are so thankful for his love and thankful for his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. I want to say thank you to the precious pastors of this church for the invitation. Can we just give it up for these blessed pastors of this wonderful church, Church of 1122? We celebrate with you on what God has done and what he is doing and even more so what he still has in store. I want to thank you all for the invitation to be here. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, thank my Faith Christian Center family for coming out to support tonight as well, to join you all in celebrating. You know, my wife couldn't be here tonight. My uh, our three children, uh, we have a, a daughter who will be 12 in a few weeks and a son who's 10 and a son who's 6. And they just had a ton of stuff going on tonight, taekwondo classes tonight and basketball practice tonight and ballet. I want to thank you all for inviting me because you got me out of chauffeur duty tonight. <laughs> but it's good to be here with you, and I trust that God's got something great in store for every one of us. Lift your hands up real high. Father, we bless you in this place. We honor you, and we say thank you for just being Lord over all. Thank you for meeting us at the point of our need. I declare tonight that my mouth is hooked up with my spirit with boldness and accuracy. I will declare exactly what you've ordained for this time tonight. Saturate us, O Lord. And, Father, I thank you. You give me a word in due season to add to what is already happening in this great church, the atmosphere of what you've already created. And, Lord, just to help give even greater understanding and wisdom and clarity for the days ahead. So we trust you tonight. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what you want to do. We yield unto you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, your pastor told me to make myself at home. So when I'm done praying at home, I ask folks to just kind of get up and find you somebody, love on them real big, and let them know you're glad to see them tonight. Open up your Bibles tonight with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm thankful for being able to be here tonight and certainly honored to be here for the conference at all, but even more honored to be able to be here to help kick it off tonight and got some dynamic speakers and or some dynamic preachers, nothing that you're going to plug a wire into. <laughs> some good preachers coming up this week, praise God. So I encourage you at Church of 1122 to make it for all of it. Amen. Don't pick and choose because the very session that you miss is the one that God needed you to be there for the most. Uh, my assignment tonight, I want to minister, share with you on the subject of the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 12. 
It says, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and things that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. <clears throat> and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Everybody shout preeminence. Come on, shout like you mean it, preeminence. Well, now the Bible says that in all things, Jesus is supposed to have what the Bible describes here as preeminence. I want to read those verses to you, starting at verse number 15 from the Amplified Bible. It says, Now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation, for it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on the earth, things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created and exist through him by his service and intervention and in and for him. And he himself existed before all things, and in him all things consist, cohere, and are held together. He also is the head of his body, the church, seeing he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he alone in everything and in every respect might occupy the chief place, stand first and be preeminent. And then I want to read one more time from a, a, a paraphrase called the Message Bible from verses 16 down through verse 20. It says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Tell your neighbor, you'll find your purpose in Christ. Come on, you're going to have to talk to him tonight. Tell him you'll find your purpose in Christ. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, all the people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. When I'm reading from the King James Bible and from the Amplified Bible and the Message Bible, they all in different ways with different language all say the same thing, that Jesus is basically the author and the finisher of our faith as well as the very source for our entire life. I mean, in other words, well, what it's saying is that everything in life starts and ends with Jesus. And really, I like to say it this way, you don't even really start living until you get to know who Jesus is. I mean, that's why you ought to be celebrating. You are part of the most radical bunch of believers, not just here at this local church or just in this city, but we are part of the greatest fraternity and sorority ever known to mankind because there's only one, of, uh, uh, one family in Christ, and that's those that are, that are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. Well, it also says that all things were made by him, 
All things are made for him, and he is the life upon which all things consist. Therefore, he alone is supposed to occupy a place in our lives and a place in our hearts that gives him what the Bible describes as preeminence. So there's nobody else, in other words. It's, it's kind of like a puzzle piece. And if you've got that one piece that's missing on a puzzle, you can't just go find one arbitrarily and, and make it fit in that one spot. If you're finishing off a puzzle and you got that one piece that's left, there's only one piece that really fits there, and there's only one person who can really occupy the seat called the preeminent one in our lives, and his name is Jesus Christ. When I have the word preeminence here, I want to give you a, a definition. I'm a Bible teacher, so you, you want to get this down if you're taking notes. The word preeminence comes from a Greek word, which is prochuo. It's spelled P-R-O-T-E-U-O, P-R-O-T-E-U-O, prochuo. And it literally means to be first or to hold the first place. To be first or to hold the first place. So when we think about who Jesus is, we know that he's the one who died on the cross for us. We know he's the one who's raised from the dead. We know that we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But he's also, he occupies a place called the preeminent one or prochuo, which means in our lives, he's the only one who can fit this place of being first or holding the first place. This is the only time that you'll see this word prochuo listed or used throughout the Bible because Jesus is the only one who is supposed to hold that reserved seat in our hearts. There's a seat in your heart that's been reserved for prochuo, for the preeminent one, and that seat belongs to Jesus. And one thing that you'll find is that nothing else in life will go right until we allow Jesus to ascend to his proper place. He doesn't fit in second place. Life doesn't work right when we try to have him in third place or fourth place or we just try, kind of try to fit him in. His place, the puzzle piece that he fits in our hearts is prochuo, where he is the one who has first place or preeminence in everything that pertains to us. Now turn over to John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15, this is a passage of scripture I'm sure many of you are familiar with, and if not, it's one that you ought to make a part of your regular repertoire of devotion. Beginning at verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes it away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. Watch verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Watch the last part of this verse. For without me, you can do what? Come on, I can't hear you. Without me, you can do what? Without me, you can do nothing. In other words... We, gotta, we must have vital union with Jesus or our lives don't work. It's not like having the, I mean, the, the, the baddest remote control car or the, the baddest toy. You know, you wake up on Christmas morning and you got this wonderful toy. And I've done this as a parent now. You know, I've learned a lesson one or two Christmases and doing it the wrong way. You buy this wonderful toy and forget to get the batteries. <laughs> well, no matter how great the toy is, the toy doesn't work right if it doesn't have the batteries that make it go. Well, no matter how much we try to make the pieces of our lives work, our lives don't work right unless Jesus is at the center of it. Which means our marriages aren't going to work right unless we give Jesus that place of preeminence. 
Our businesses don't work right. I mean, the, just our, our joy and our peace on a daily basis. No matter what we try, money alone is never going to make you happy. I mean, growing a great business alone is never going to make you happy. Getting married is not the end all of all your frustrations. In fact, sometimes it can start some frustrations. Well, what causes us to really have joy and to have peace and to have contentment is when we get to a place where we give Jesus the preeminent place or the place of being pro-chuo in our lives. And, and no matter what else you try, it's not going to work out right until you give him his spot. You know, I thank God for our, our high-tech society today. And, you know, uh, sometimes I preach from my, my Bible, sometimes I use my iPad. And, you know, everything in life now has gone, you know, high-tech and, 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 and digital even when you go to the restroom now, you know, use the restroom and you're trying to wash your hands and you got to wave your hands up under the little device to get the water out. I was at a restroom not, not that long ago, I think at an airport somewhere, and I you know, use the restroom, take the soap, wash my hands real good, and I'm standing there at the paper towel holder, and I'm trying to get some paper towel out. Well, I've got a college degree. I've been to Bible school. I consider myself to be kind of, sort of smart. And I'm standing there in front of the paper towel holder because I know some of them you wave your hand up under it. Huh? Others you kind of wave it right there in front of it. And some of them you just kind of stand back and wait for a minute and it just shows up. So I'm standing there, I'm, I'm waving in front of it. And then I figure I must not be wa waving fast enough, so I start waving, waving faster. Then I figure maybe it's the one that you rub it or wave your hand up under. So I'm waving my hand up under it. Then I'm waving on the side of it, waving on top of it. And finally, this little seven-year-old kid comes and pulls the lever down. <laughs> I feel like one of those Southwest commercials, want to get away? <laughs> but it reminded me that that's the way it works in life sometimes. We can try harder at the wrong thing, and it still won't get the right result. We can try harder to get results on our job. We can try harder to make our marriages and relationships work. We can try harder and move faster and just say, I'm going to be more committed. But until we give Jesus the place of being the preeminent one in our lives, things don't work out like they're supposed to. You can change cities. You can move from one city to another, one church to another. You can re rearrange all the pieces in your lives. Nothing is going to work like it's supposed to until we give him the place that's been designed for him, which is first place. But I got news for you. Once you give him first place in your life, come on, talk to me, somebody. <laughs> Once you give him first place in your life, not only do the pieces start to line up like they're supposed to, you wake up in the morning, even if you don't have everything going just right, you still have a joy that no man can take away from you. Come on, you have a peace that this world can't steal from you. You can go to work and deal with folks you don't even want to have to deal with. But because of the peace and contentment on the inside. See, peace doesn't start on the outside. Peace is something that starts on the inside. Before Jesus ever stood up on the bow of that boat and said, peace be still. You look at him in the back of that boat, sleep on a pillow while water is splashing into that boat. He already had shalom on the inside before he ever called for shalom on the outside. And there are a lot of believers trying to command peace be still on the outside, trying to command peace be still in their marriage and peace be still with their children. But before you get peace on the outside, it starts with peace on the inside. And peace on the inside starts with letting Jesus have first place in your life. Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. Turn over to Mark chapter 3. Hallelujah.
Mark chapter 3 tonight. Beginning at verse number 13. I want to show you what I like to call our primary calling. Every one of us in here is called. Some of you may be called like Pastor Joby to stand and actually preach the word of God and minister to congregations or ministers to thousands of people in arenas. Some of you are called to assist and, and help out and, and be you know, what we call ministry of helps to help the vision go forth. But every one of us in here is called. We're all called to do something for the kingdom of God. If nothing else, we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. And we're all called, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're all called to tell other people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the good news that God has already reconciled man to himself. So we're all called in one way or another, but our primary calling is not even the calling we have to go out and do works for the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse number 13. It says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. Now, I don't know if you like to write in your Bibles around here, but if I were you, I'd write in my Bible, underline in my Bible right there, that they should be with him. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. Jesus ordained 12, Matthew and, and, and Mark and Luke and Bartholomew and Thomas. He ordained the 12, watch this, that they should be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. What, what do you, what's the point you're trying to make? Well, the point I'm making is that their primary calling wasn't to go out to preach. Their primary calling wasn't to go out and cast out devils and heal the sick. Their primary calling, bring it into our modern day you know, vernacular, wasn't to serve in the children's area or to be an usher. Their primary calling wasn't to be on the parking lot team or to be the pastor who preaches good sermons. The first thing he called them to do, the Bible says he ordained 12, first of all, so that they could be with him. Which means if I do all the other stuff and I miss the primary call, the primary thing is I'm supposed to be with Jesus. That's why I thank God for this saturate revival, bless God. Thank God for a Daniel fast. I know it's been hard on your flesh. Your flesh has been screaming like you just have mistreated it. And you have mistreated it. And it's good that you've mistreated it. Why? Because if you give your flesh all of what it wants all the time, your flesh will hurt you. Come on, your flesh will put your marriage in trouble. Huh? Your flesh, just like my flesh today, there's no special bishop flesh. <laughs> oh, when I got ordained, when I got ordained a pastor, then was consecrated a bishop. You don't get some special bishop flesh or pastor flesh. Flesh is flesh, and if you give your flesh all of what it wants, your flesh will get you in trouble. Your flesh will have you eating chocolate cake at three o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that on your Daniel fast. <laughs> your flesh will have you ready to get into an argument or fight with somebody at work. Your flesh will have you debating with your neighbor over whose trash can ought to be in this spot and whose trash can ought to be in that spot. If you give this flesh, and see, flesh is flesh. doesn't matter whether your flesh is, is brown. Come on, somebody. No matter what color your flesh is, flesh is flesh. Doesn't matter whether your flesh is born in America or born in India or born in China, flesh is still flesh. You know, we we have churches, as, as your pastor mentioned, that we have planted, you know, throughout the state of Florida, a couple in Georgia, uh, one up the East Coast in 
uh, Norfolk, one in overseas in Peru, and next month we're planning a church in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area. And, and, and I say that to say this, you know, I've had an opportunity to go to a number of different cities and, 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 and plant churches and even overseas and do pastors' conferences, and I've come to realize that whether your flesh is American flesh or Bulgarian flesh or Korean flesh or Peruvian flesh, it's still flesh. And if you give your flesh as much of anything it wants, it'll always lead you somewhere you don't want to go. Well, thank God for Daniel fast. I thank God for a season where you just say to your flesh, you're not going to have what you want. You know, we, we do a, a, at, least, at least one fast throughout the year. We're actually getting ready to start a 28-day challenge on Sunday, and I'm not calling a church-wide fast, but I'm, I'm going on a fast personally because I like having a chance to tell my flesh no. And my flesh screams. <laughs> it cries out, bloody murder. But you know, when it's all said and done, I always come out of that time of fasting spiritually stronger than I was when I went into it. Well, what's the point you're making? The point I'm making is our primary calling is to first and foremost be with Jesus. And I have learned as a pastor that you can do a good job. You can become a professional Christian. And what I mean by that, you can get to a place where you know how to do church. You know when you're supposed to lift your hands. You know when you're supposed to clap. You know when to get your offering ready. You know when it's time to pray. You know, in our church, we like to dance and shout. Sometimes you come to our church to visit me, and you may look up and you think you're at the Indy 500 because somebody will come running past you. <laughs> we say, leave them alone. They're just rejoicing in God, man. <laughs> well, you can get to a place where you know professionally as a Christian kind of how to do all the right stuff. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is, are you with Jesus? Because if I do all the other professional stuff, I do all the other stuff right, but I forget to be with him, then I've missed the whole point. Because at the end of the day, he is supposed to be prochuo. He's supposed to be the preeminent one. And what I found out is when I do it the way he set the system up, life becomes a whole lot easier than when I try to do it my own way and I end up struggling because I'm living life through this flesh. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Now, they told me there was a clock somewhere that tells me when I'm supposed to. Oh, no. All right. Don't tell me that now. I have burned up many a Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> but I want to know. I promise. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse number 20. Watch this. You may have seen this before. Many of you may have never really noticed this or paid attention. Watch verse 20. Now, when the evening was come, he sat down with the 12. Remember the 12. Their, their primary purpose was to do what? Come on. Their primary calling or purpose was to do what? To be with him. I like this group over here. <laughs> to be with him. When the evening was come, he sat down with the 12. And as they did eat, he said, truly, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it me? And he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same betrayeth me. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus is sitting down with the 12, the 12 who were supposed to be with him, the 12 who he ordained to be close with him, the 12 who should have, out of everybody else, these 12 should have known who he was. And he sits down with them and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And over and over, they all begin to say, Lord, is it me? 
Now, if you look up this word Lord, it's a Greek, it's the Greek word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. And it means he to whom a person or thing belongs. It means the owner, one who has control and power of deciding over another. So one by one, they say kurios, Lord, the one that I belong to. The owner, my owner, the one who has control and power of deciding over me. One by one, they all go through. In fact, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 19, you can write that down. It's, it's, it's Mark's version of this same account. And Mark says, one by one, they all said this. So I want you to get the picture of this. Jesus is talking to his 12, who he ordained to be with him. And he says, one of you 12 is going to betray me. And one by one, they all go down the line. Matthew says, kurios. Master, owner, the one who owns me, who has the right to decide over my life. Is it me? Hmm? They all go by one by one. Thomas, even doubting Thomas. Kurios, is it me? John the beloved, Kurios, is it me? Everybody wants to know, am I the one who's going to make this horrible decision to betray you? And they address him as Kurios or Lord. Verse number 24, watch this. He says, the son of man goes as it, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, watch this, master, is it I? Well, now, hang on a second. The Bible doesn't, doesn't waste words. Everybody went by one by one, said, kurios, is it me? Lord, is it me? Master, the one who owns me, is it me? Master, is it me? When it came down to Judas, Judas said, Master. Everybody else said, Kurios. Judas said, Master. The word here for master is rabbi, which means great teacher. Everybody else, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, how in the world could somebody who was with Jesus for three and a half years, watching him raise the dead, watching him heal the sick, how could somebody be on the vine but not submitted to the vine? How can somebody be that close to Jesus and still not get a revelation of who he is? How could somebody be that close to Messiah? I mean, I know folks say all the time, oh, Lord, if I had just been back there, I wish I could have been back there in the Bible days. Will you go ahead to the Bible days? I like my iPad and my iPhone. <laughs> but you hear folks all the time, if I could have just been back there in the Bible days, or if I could have just walked with them, I know I'd have more faith. No, faith and commitment comes from making a decision to go ahead and let him be preeminent. Judas is walking step by step. He's watching miracles. He's seeing the healings. Yet his heart didn't come to a place where he gave Jesus preeminence. His heart acknowledged him as a great teacher. You're a good teacher. You're a rabbi. That's a sign of respect. But think about it. Even when he calls him rabbi, if you're calling Jesus a great teacher, that's really for your own benefit. I'm acknowledging that he's a good teacher, but... Being a good teacher means the student gets to get good information. And that's kind of like a lot of believers. Some believers do with Christianity today, where their whole relationship with Jesus, it hasn't grown to a place of letting him be preeminent. And so they, they, they have one or two angles on their relationship with Jesus. Either Jesus for them becomes an ATM simply for healing and, and for prosperity and for, for a, a promotion on their job or for all these other good things to happen. And if those things stop happening, then they're ready to turn their back and walk away from Jesus. I can't tell you how many folks I run into that are mad at God. And if you ask them why they're mad at God, it's because in their mind, God didn't do something they expected him to do. Well, first of all, who are 
we to ever have the audacity to call ourselves mad at the most perfect being in all of creation. God Almighty is perfect. Holy is, means perfect in all of his ways. But I've run into folks, and that relationship is because they've established that God exists for the purpose of what they can get from him. Now, make no bones about it. I believe that God wants to bless us. I believe God wants to heal us. Come on, talk to me, somebody. He's a good God. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe he wants good things for us, but he doesn't want us chasing after his hand. He wants us seeking his face. And if you seek his face, you're going to get his hand. Amen. And so you get some folks whose entire relationship with Jesus is like Judas's, where their whole pursuit is from what they can get from him. Then you get other folks whose entire relationship with Jesus is based on religious obligation. I have to pray. I have to go to church. I have to serve at church. Well, our, our relationship with God ought not be a, a list of have-tos. Hmm? Come on, our, our relationship with God ought to be one great big want-to. Come on, help me out in this place. Come on. Our, our relationship with God ought to be one great big want-to. We just absolutely, positively love him with every fiber of our being, from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. We're madly in love with God Almighty, and because of, of the overflow of that love, we can't help but want to be in his presence. Uh, uh, we, we, ought to get to, we ought to be at a place where when somebody says it's time to worship the Lord, like the songwriter said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? When you are in love with the most high God. Nobody's got to stir you up to praise God. Come on, a worship leader ought to have to rev you up to praise God. You ought to come in and, and they ought to see you. Bless God from the little nail salon when you're coming through the door. Bless God. They ought to be wondering what's going on over there at that old Walmart because you're getting out of your car with a bounce in your step. You ought to come in the building, praise God, with your hands already up. Even when you're on your way passing McDonald's, praise God. Folks can't eat their french fries good because you got so much of the love of God oozing out of you. Hallelujah. Well, when you've got a love for God like that, when you've got a passion for God like that, not only do you run to him, but he turns around and everything about him saturates you with his love in return. Hallelujah. Now turn over to Romans chapter 5. The foundation for our relationship with Christ must be rooted in an unshakable righteousness that is not a self-righteousness, but a factor of God's amazing grace. Can you just lift your hands and, lift, and thank the Lord with me for his amazing grace? Come on, I don't know what your background has been, but I can tell you the only reason you are even sitting here today is because of God's amazing grace. And I feel like the Apostle Paul, I'm the least of those who should be worthy to stand up here preaching to you tonight, but it's because of God's amazing grace that we're all here and the foundation for our entire relationship with God has got to be based on the revelation that we are righteous because of what he did, never because of what we can do. Amen. 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 Romans chapter 8. Let's head toward the home stretch. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 15. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption or the spirit of belonging, whereby we cry what? Come on, we cry what? Come on, we cry what? Abba, Father. Now, I don't know if you heard your pastor during, during that, that prayer time. Man, he almost prayed my whole message. 
I'm like, man, I'll just sit here and let you get the benediction because you didn't pray out everything I was planning to say. But did you get that? The spirit of God on the inside of us causes us, watch this, to cry out, Abba, Father. I want to leave you with something tonight, man. There's a revelation that we get because of Jesus here. See, I mean, it's, it's commonplace for us to pray to the Father God. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We've been taught to pray our Father who art in heaven since we were little kids, many of us. But do you realize that before Jesus came on the scene, mankind didn't relate to God as Father? In fact, other than Adam, I really believe it. You don't see it in Scripture, but I really believe Adam knew God as Father. And all after Adam sinned, everybody else that came after Adam, Noah and Moses and David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, they were great men of God, but they didn't know him as Father. And even throughout the Gospels, as you see Jesus, he's really reintroducing us to this concept that God is not just some guy in the sky who's a covenant keeper. He's not just somebody in a far-off land who will hear and answer your prayer. He's reintroducing us to this revelation that you can get to know him as Father, not just Father, but Abba Father, my Father. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. What's the big deal about that revelation? I mean, if you think about Jesus was constantly saying, uh, uh, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say this, our father who art in heaven. What's the big deal? When you come to know him as father, there's a big difference in knowing him as father as opposed to just knowing him as God. So when you get the revelation that he's your father, in fact, turn over to John chapter 14 with me. God is known by many names in the Old Testament. We know him as Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. But it's not until Jesus comes that he introduces him to us as father, Abba. John chapter 14, beginning at verse number six. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From henceforth or from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Watch verse 8. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. The Living Bible says, Sir, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Don't you know, Church of 1122, that's what the world is saying to us? Show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. That's why I love what you're doing here, because the world is tired of religion. The world is tired of just going through the motions. The world is tired of you having to look a certain way, dress a certain way in order to, be, to approach God. But the, world, the, world is, the world is fed up with the world. The world is not resisting Jesus. The world is resisting religion. And the world is crying out, saying the same thing Philip said. Church of 1122, Faith Christian Center, Celebration Church, Bethel Baptist Church, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Show us what the Father really looks like. Show us what his love really feels like, and we'll be satisfied. But watch this. It's hard to show somebody something that you don't know yourself. And part of what the issue has been in the body of Christ is that the body of Christ, we've been trying to show the world the Father, but you can't show him the world the Father until you come to know him yourself. And coming to know him as father for yourself means coming to this revelation. He loves you just the way you are. 
He loves you like you are. See, the difference between God and us, uh, the many differences, but one difference between God and us, when we choose to love somebody, we love them with imperfect knowledge. My wife and I have been married this past July for 20 years. Hallelujah. To each other, 20 years. Not, not added up all the years together. To each other, 20 years. And watch this, 20 good years. We're still in love like we were, and we met in college, we're still in love. But you know, when I met her, and she met me, and we fell in love, and we decided to get married, we got married with imperfect knowledge. We've had a great 20-year marriage, and expecting the next 20 to be even better, but I've learned some stuff about that girl over these 20 years. <laughs> Come on, she's learned some stuff about me that I'm sure she didn't know over these 20 years. And there have been times in there where we had to go, I ain't know that about you, girl. You ain't tell me that. <laughs> We were, <laughs> we were just at her parents' house this past Sunday for uh, dinner. We, we met up over there for dinner, and, um, and we were talking. You know how you get with family, everybody starts reminiscing, and her mama started start reminiscing about one of her old boyfriends. Hmm? And I just sat and listened. When we got outside, I was like, girl, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> when I watch this, we love each other with imperfect knowledge. But watch this. God is Alpha and Omega. So when he chooses to place his love on you, he already knows everything about you. He knows every thought you're ever going to think. He knows every decision you're ever going to make. And even the decisions that you make that were not a part of his will, he already factored that in when he decided to love you. I mean, it blows my mind when I, when I think about this, Pastor. Because God is Alpha and he is Omega. I, I used to say he's at the beginning and he's at the end. No, he is the beginning and he is the end. Which means right now, it's a hard concept for us to grab hold of because we are bound by time. I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot make yourself jump ahead to tomorrow. No matter how much you pray and fast and, and squint your eyes, you cannot jump to tomorrow. And accordingly, you can't jump three days backwards either. We are bound by this moment. And so it's hard sometimes to get our mind wrapped around God because God's not bound by this moment. Come on, help me out, people. God is right now with us right here in this revival. He is here. Right now, he's here. Come on, right now, he's here. Hmm? But guess what? Right now, he's already there tomorrow night. Huh? Huh? He's already there tomorrow night. And he's already there for Friday night with Pastor Stovall. He's already there waiting for us. And he's already, right now while I'm talking to you, he's at the beginning when he said, let there be light. And right now, he's at the end at the Battle of Armageddon when this whole thing wraps up. And right now, simultaneously while I'm talking to you, he's at that point where you messed up and you blew and you fell on your face and somebody lied to you and told you you could never get back up again. And he's saying, if you really come to know me as Abba Father, you would know that as a daddy, I'm not going to turn my back on you. Hmm? It's one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible is Luke chapter 15, the story we all call the story of the prodigal son. But it's really not a story of the prodigal son. It's really not about the son. You remember the story? You know, the father has two sons. The youngest one says, Daddy, give me my money, my inheritance prematurely. He takes his money, goes off, blows it, living a wild, riotous life. When all his money is gone, his friends are gone. That's usually how it happens. And he finds himself begging for food to the point that he takes a job feeding somebody else's pigs. And he's so hungry that he's looking at the food he's giving to the pigs and wants to eat it himself. But I love the fact the Bible says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many servants does my father have who have enough food to eat and leftovers? 
And so he rehearsed this little speech in his mind. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll go to my father and I'll say to my father, I have sinned against God and I sinned against you. I know I'm not worthy to be your son, but would you please hire me on your staff? Make me one of your hired servants. And he's rehearsing this speech in his head. He's got it already made up in his mind. When I see my father, I'm going to say, I know I've messed up. I've blown it with God and I've probably blown it with you. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. I blew my inheritance, but will you give me a job? Make me one of your hired servants. And the Bible says that his father, when the son was still a great way off, what does that mean? That means his daddy was getting up every day looking for him. There was no email. There was no fax. There was no way to communicate he's on his way. So for his daddy to spot the boy while he's still a long way off, that means every day his father was getting up looking for him saying, this might be the day that my boy comes home. He spots him a long way off. And notice what the Bible says. The father didn't cross his arms and say, let me wait and let me teach him a lesson. I'll show him. I knew he's going to hit rock bottom one day and have to come back crawling to me. Now the Bible says his father ran toward him, <sighs> fell on his neck, kissed him. And the boy starts to try to give his speech. I, I, I sinned against God and I sinned against you and I don't deserve it. His father stopped him. He said, bring me the best robe we got in the house. Put it on him. Bring me a ring and put it on his finger. Put some shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf because my son who was dead is alive. So it's really not a story about the prodigal son. It's really a story about the love of Abba Father. It's really a story that teaches us that God loves you so much, he'll come running after you. It's a story that teaches us that he can love us more in a moment than everybody else could in an entire lifetime. It's a story that teaches us that when Jesus was on that cross and he said, it is finished. The Bible says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. As you study it out, man, that veil was a thick curtain. If they say you could tie horses, Josephus says you could tie horses at either end and pull in opposite direction. They could not rip that cord. I think I read you can put four horses on either side, pulling in opposite directions, and they could not rip that, that, that curtain, the veil of the temple. But when Jesus said it is finished, that curtain ripped, the Bible says, from top to bottom, all the way through. It didn't just tear a little bit. It ripped from top to the bottom. What was the purpose of that, that curtain? That, the curtain was to keep people out of the presence of God. Because after Adam, everybody was a sinner. Nobody deserved to go into the presence of God. That's why the high priest had to even go in with blood covering him. He had to go in and sprinkle the curtain, the veil, with blood to go in, even to make atonement for the sins of the people one time a year. But when Jesus said, it is finished, that curtain ripped in two. What was God saying? He said, now you don't have to stand on the outside looking in. Come on. Now you don't have to sit back and wish you were good enough to come into my presence. What God was saying is, you would never be good enough in and of your own self. So I came to the earth and I became good enough for you. Hmm? Now, when you open up your heart to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you get dipped and covered in the blood of Jesus. Have you ever seen two people that are just, you know, covered all in pain? It's hard to tell who's who. And in the spirit realm, when you get dipped in the blood of Jesus, the angels have a hard time telling us that's you or is it Jesus? The demons have a hard time telling us that's you or is it Jesus? And accordingly, you become an heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Which is why... You should not let anything or anybody 
keep you out of the place that the blood of Jesus purchased for you to go to. You've got a blood-bought right to go into the presence of God. You've got a blood-bought right to act like a son or a daughter of God. You've got a blood-bought right that if you mess up, come running back to God. You've got a blood-bought right to let God's presence and his blood keep you walking straight and narrow. You've got a blood-bought right to let God pull you so close until you give Jesus the place that he alone deserves, that is, prochuo. Let him be preeminent. There's nothing else in this world that can compare to Jesus. Uh, songwriter said, I searched all over, couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low, still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater, nobody greater, no. Nobody greater than you. I searched all over. I couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low. Still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater. Nobody greater, no. Nobody greater than you. Nobody greater. Nobody greater, no. Nobody greater than you. Come on, lift up your hands. We bless you, Lord. Come on, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. Father, we take the time tonight to pray for these, your precious, precious men and women and young people. Father, you're doing something in the earth, and we're just glad to be a part of it. We thank you that you're saturating our hearts. You're causing us to see you in a greater way. You're causing us to recognize you are the preeminent one. And there's nothing and nobody who deserves to even come close to your place. So tonight, Father God, we resist any idols that have tried to set their place up in our hearts. We cast down, Lord God, anything that's tried to rise up to your place of authority. And we decide tonight, Lord God, to give you full place. We move ourselves out of the way. We move our jobs out of the way. And we ask you for your help. Thank you for being Abba Father to us. Thank you for loving us right where we are. Thank you for helping us overcome the lies that this world has told us. You're not mad at us, God. Thank you for truth. And the truth is setting us free. And that truth is you pay too high a price to cast us aside. So we're running after you. We're running after you. And we're glad tonight that we found you. So we lift up holy hands in your presence. Come on, lift up holy hands in his presence and open up your mouth in your own words and take a moment right now just to express your love to him. Come on, go ahead and tell him how much you love him. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. We bless you. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. 